here in March. Finally, mark your calendar. Our ordination service has been postponed to February 13th. This will be when we ordain all our newly appointed deacons and elder. So that's it with all the announcement. At this time, let's give a warm welcome to Pastor Josh as he shares the word with us today. Thank you so much, Bonnie. All right, let me just get situated here. All right. Hey, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I just want to warmly welcome you to our church and to our community. And we're so glad that you're here to worship with us and just to kick off the new year as a church, as a community to worship um, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, for the past two weeks, um, I was actually recovering from COVID, and so I had to watch and tune in online and stuff like that. But I am finally recovered, uh, dealing with some shortness of breath, and so I can't sing or talk in long run on sentences, so I'll, you know, I'll have to pause here and there, but uh, I just really want to say I missed our church for the past two weeks, and just coming back and seeing all the different people and all the different ways that people are still serving and loving and being involved in our community, man, it's really great to see, so we're so glad and we're so thankful for each and every single one of you guys. Um, yeah, so today we're actually going to be starting a new sermon series on the book of Jonah. Um, first of all, I want to say Happy New Year 2022. Um, you know, with the new year, there's New Year resolutions. And so, you know, people are making changes. The pastoral staff, we've been talking about the changes that we're trying to make in our own lives. Pastor John, he's been talking about finding a new gym. Pastor Wanjay, he started working out in his office. And so now, if you guys ever walk into the office, what you'll see is him sitting there with, um, you know, those armbands, the, the exercise armbands attached to his the armrest of his chairs. He's constantly just going like this, pumping his biceps in the office. Me, I decided that I'm going to commit to eating one salad per day, because at this rate, I'm going to have to drop mad money and buy a bunch of new pants. Um, and so these are all the changes that we're making, and we're pumped about it. Um, but I know not everyone feels the same way about New Year's resolution. Some people are cynical. Some people are like, what's the point when most people don't follow their resolutions after a couple of given time, right? Or why make these changes and make a big deal out of it right now when you could have implemented all these changes all along, but I personally love the idea of New Year's resolution because it's a time for me to reset, to address and confront the different areas of my life, areas where I've grown comfortable, areas where I slacked off, areas where I've gotten off track. Because I don't know about you, but by the end of a year, I find myself running away from a lot of problems in my life where I don't want to deal with issues. I'm pushing things off because it's easier and it's comfortable to stay where you are than to make some changes and disrupt things in your life. Some of us, we are running away from forgiveness rather than running to reconciliation. Some of us, we are running away from getting counseling to address the consistent destructive behaviors and patterns in our life. Others of us, we're running away from facing our fears, our anxiety, and our disappointments rather than running to who God is calling you to be and what God is calling you to do. And some of us, we're running away from serving, tithing, getting more involved, growing spiritually. And my prayer is that this year, 2022, is a year where we stop running away from things, but we run to the problems. We run to the challenges. We run to the issues, believing that on the other side of it is life, courage, promises, community, emotional health, and the abundant life that God is calling to. Amen. 
over the next few weeks, we're going to actually go through the book of Jonah. And it's a short book of only four chapters, but it's a powerful narrative that reveals the heart of God. And we'll see that much like Jonah's life, it's really similar to ours. That much like us, Jonah is constantly running away from rather than running to the very things that God is calling him to. But how God deals with this reluctant prophet is a lesson for us on what the purpose of our life is all about to be. And so I'm going to kick us off on a collection of talks through the book of Jonah with a message titled, The Jonah in Us. The Jonah in us. Read with me on the screen above. Jonah 1.1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. We're introduced to two people from the get-go, Jonah and God. And the book of Jonah will reveal more and more about who these two people are, their heart, their character with each chapter as it'll seek to answer the two questions, who is Jonah and who is God? Now, regarding the first question, there isn't actually much information about who Jonah is, even in his very own book or elsewhere in the Bible. But from the very first verse, we learn some basic things. First, we learn that his name is Jonah, which means dove. And second, we learn that he is the son of Amittai, which means faithful. If you're familiar with the story, you see the irony from the beginning, don't you? We see that Jonah isn't faithful to God's mission of bringing peace, which is the symbolic meaning of a dove. And instead, Jonah is unfaithful to God's mission, and he flies and runs away like a bird that knows a storm is on its way. And this is why the book of Jonah, it's it's a short book, but it's so fun and fascinating because there's so many different types of ironies like that all throughout the short book. And lastly, we see that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, which means Jonah is a prophet. Prophets are people who hear from the Lord and they communicate God's message to God's people, especially in a time of crisis. And 2 Kings shows us that Jonah was prophet to specifically the northern kingdom of Israel, approximately around from 790 to 750 BC. But Jonah is a unique prophet. How is he unique? Read with me verse 2. This is God speaking to Jonah. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Usually prophets delivered God's message to God's own chosen people. But what do we read in verse 2? Jonah is actually being asked to go and deliver God's message, not to the northern kingdom of Israel, but to a pagan country, which was very, very rare. This would have shocked all of Jonah's contemporaries, their original readers. But what's more even shocking is that God was asking Jonah not to go to just any other country, not to any other pagan country, but to Nineveh, right, which was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And this would have made all of the original leaders, all of Jonah's contemporaries pause Because they're not just any other people group. They're not just any other nation. But Assyria was one of the most barbaric, cruel, violent, oppressive people group and and an empire of the ancient times. Their history and their way of life as a people group were as gory and as violent as they come. Read one commentator and he says this. After capturing their enemies... The Assyrians would typically cut off their legs and one arm, leaving the other hand so they could shake the victim's hand in mockery as he was dying. They forced friends and family members to parade with a decapitated head of their loved ones elevated on poles. They pulled out prisoners' tongues and stretched out their bodies with ropes so they could be flayed alive and their skins displayed on city walls. They burned their adolescents alive. 
Those who survived the destruction of their cities were fated to endure cruel and violent forms of slavery. The Assyrians have been called a terrorist, a terrorist state. And so we see that, you know, the Assyrians group, they're savage, they're barbaric. But one thing you have to notice this is that Assyria was actually Israel's hateful enemy because they were a constant threat with their constant attacks all throughout the lifetime of Jonah. Eventually in 722 BC, the Assyrian Empire actually invades Israel and destroys its capital city, Samaria. Now the original readers, as shocked as they might have been by this unusual and unprecedented command from God, they might have potentially rejoiced at Jonah's mission. Because they're thinking, is God sending Jonah to deliver a message of judgment and vengeance against our enemy? Is our enemy finally going to get what they deserve, the wrath of God? But look at the second half of verse 2. This is God speaking once again. And he says, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. That word wickedness in Hebrew is ra'ah, and it's really important and significant. Because if you look at that Hebrew word, it actually has two definitions. The first one is this, it's evil or wickedness as we would define it in our English language. But the second definition is actually misfortune or trouble. Now, historical evidence shows that around this time, things were not actually going well for the Ninevites or for the Assyrian Empire. They were experiencing loss of military and political power on the international stage. They were experiencing famines and earthquakes. You know, what made them so impressive and successful as a pagan empire on the international stage, it was actually turning against them as their brutal and a barbaric and oppressive way of life. They were actually turning on each other. And so there were so many uprising and social injustices that were happening. So Nineveh, at this point, they're in turmoil because their society is literally hanging in the balance because it's about to break down actually from the inside out. And that word ra'ah or wickedness, it would have left Jonah, his original readers, and his contemporaries bewildered. Because they're asking, was Jonah being asked to preach against Nineveh because God intended to judge the city for its evil? Or... Was Jonah being asked to preach against Nineveh to say that God has seen their misfortunes and their troubles and that God's compassion had been aroused? A commentator says this, but Jonah would recognize, as would the hearers and the readers of the story in ancient Israel, that to give advanced warning was to open the door to the possibility of repentance. God was commissioning a warning rather than an irrevocable announcement of immediate destruction. Thus, implicitly, God's command to Jonah to speak against Nineveh had to be understood in the light of the possibility that God might thereby bring good rather than evil to this city. And this is where after we learn about who Jonah is, the book of Jonah introduces and reveals who God is. Is a God a God who punishes and destroys? Or is God a God of compassion and he's willing to restore and he's so aroused by his compassion for us? What is the heart of God? And we'll see in the coming weeks how the book answered these questions, right? And they reveal the heart of God layer by layer in the coming chapter. But the closest and the fullest answer we get regarding the heart of God comes at the end in Jonah chapter 4 verse 11, right? Our theme verse for the year where it says what? Should I not be concerned about that great city? Right? We learn two things about the heart of God with that verse. The first one is this, is that the heart of God is deeply compassionate, 
full of mercy, abounding in grace, and overflowing with love. When we talk about the heart of God in the, throughout this whole year, we're going to use those four words interchangeably. Compassion, grace, mercy, and love. And what we see in Jonah 4.11 is that God is concerned. He's not apathetic. He's not indifferent. He's not at a distance. But what ha what's happening in Nineveh is actually affecting him. The lostness and the brokenness of that evil city is actually moving him. And in the same way, our brokenness and our sin makes him grieve. It breaks his heart and it causes him to weep over us. We, right, we see this compassion of God. We see the compassion of God all throughout scripture. Read with me a couple of verses. Luke chapter 7, verse 12 to 13. As Jesus approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. And eventually he heals her and heals the, um, the boy, and he actually comes back to life. Hebrews 4, 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And in our passage today, in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2, Jonah is showing that God is actually so full of deep compassion that he's even willing to extend forgiveness, mercy, and restoration even to an evil people group like the Assyrians. God identifies himself as a God of compassion. I love what Tim Keller writes. He says this, for God to apply compassion to himself is radical. This is the language of attachment. God weeps over the evil and the lostness of Nineveh. When you put your love on someone, you can be happy only if they are happy. And their distress becomes your distress. The love of attachment makes me vulnerable to suffering. And yet, that is what God says about himself. But God is utterly and perfectly happy in himself. And he doesn't need us. So how could he get attached to us? The only answer is that an infinite, omnipotent, self-sufficient, divine being only loves voluntarily. Real compassion, the voluntary attachment of our heart to others means the sadness of their condition makes us sad. It affects us. This is deeply uncomfortable, but it is the character of compassion. And so the heart of God is compassionate for Nineveh. It's compassionate for Jonah. It's compassionate for you. And it's compassionate for me. Amen. The second thing that we learn about the heart of God is this, is that the heart of God is missional. Right? Jonah 4.11, should I not be concerned about that great city? God is so concerned. He's so compassionate that he's, not, that he's actually willing to do something about it. God doesn't just feel these things and he just sits back and he's like, oh, I don't want to deal with it. But God is on a mission to restore us back into a relationship with him and to rescue and to restore us from our misfortunes, our troubles, and our suffering. And the great example we see of this is God sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to rescue and restore us, right? 1 John 4, 9, verse 10. This is how God has showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Luke 4, 18. This is Jesus speaking. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. In Ephesians um, chapter 2, verse 4, 5. 
But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved. God is a God on a mission to restore. And if you take a bird-eyes view over the overall narrative of the biblical story, of the biblical narrative, you'll see that after the fall, God has been on a mission to bring all of creation, all of history, all of humanity, all our lives to the end game in Revelations 21, where it says there will be no more weeping, there will be no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Why? Because God will make all things new. This is his mission, or as Chuck Davis calls it, this is his restoration project, right? Chuck Davis says this, the creator's greatest delight is when people are restored to him in vibrant relationship. Thus, the call is to bring people into such a relationship, inviting them to leave the kingdom of darkness and return to the kingdom of light. The creator's delight gets expressed fully when his kingdom overtakes the kingdoms of this world, which means full recovery and personhood, right, salvation, healing of the body and soul deliverance, in society, right relationships, in culture, renew vocation and justice, and on the earth, stewardship of the land. God's desire to restore his relationship with people and his desire to have his adopted sons and daughters participate in this restoration is seen throughout the Bible. This is his restoration project. And so the heart of God is marked by these two things, compassion and mission. That the heart of God is so moved by compassion that God is on a mission to rescue and to restore. Amen. And this is why we chose Jonah 4.11 as the theme verse for the year. Right? That should we also not be concerned like God about that great city about our family members that don't know Jesus, about that friend, about that coworker, about your classmates, about this Bergen County region, and even our nation. And so God isn't just asking Jonah, hey, can you go and deliver a message? No, God is revealing his heart of compassion and mission to Jonah and inviting him on this mission of rescue and restoration. And this same invitation is given to us today because God's plan all along has been to send his people, to send you and me to go rescue others and restore the brokenness in our world. But what does Jonah do? Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying that fare, he went abroad and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Jonah runs away from God and his mission. Why? Number one, I think it's fear, right? He's like, I don't want to go to that barbaric, oppressive people group. But the second reason is this. Jonah is so offended and furious that God isn't referring to the Assyrians' evil and wickedness, but that he's referring to the misfortune and trouble. And God does not want to preach a message of repentance to Nineveh to give them any chance of repenting. And he thinks that he has a chance to avoid it by fleeing. Oh, my gosh, I'm so scared of birds. I personally am so scared of birds, and this bird has been in the sanctuary the whole time. So what does Jonah do? Jonah flees from God. He runs away. And Jonah means business because first, he actually decides to take a boat and go into the sea. Now, for the original readers reading this, they, they, they know what that means because the sea represents chaos. Jonah was making a point that he so disagrees with what God is trying to do of showing mercy that he would rather choose chaos over God. And second, Jonah decides not to only just go in the opposite direction. 
he decides to go like 2,500 miles in the opposite direction, all the way away from Nineveh, Nineveh to Tarshish, which today is modern-day Spain. Now, when I read this part of the story, I wonder, man, how much more effort does it take to disobey God rather than to simply obey him? Right? How much effort does it take to disobey God than to obey him, right? It's like having to like, keep up more and more lies, like covering something up from your parents growing up, right? You guys know what I mean? Where it's like, hey, did you eat that popsicle that you weren't supposed to eat until after dinner? Uh, no. Then why is your tongue red? Um, my tongue is bleeding. What? How is it bleeding? Uh, I fell down the stairs a couple, couple, you know, couple hours ago. What? How did that happen? Uh, Sarah pushed me down the stairs, right? Sarah's my younger sister for, the, for those who don't know, right? Some of us are exhausted and we're tired in life. And I want to propose to you, it's not that it's just because life is hard, but it takes more effort for you to rebel. It's more energy consuming and more effort taking for you to rebel in disobedience rather than surrendering and just simply obeying God. Now, Jonah gets a bad rap in the church, and we're like thinking, man, how can Jonah disobey God? How can Jonah run away? If I was Jonah, I could never disobey or delay my obedience like the reluctant prophet. But before we judge Jonah, let's pause and acknowledge that some of us have a hard time inviting our friends to church. Some of us have a hard time praying for people inside the church and outside the church. Some of us even have a hard time just giving an encouraging word that God is asking you to do to share with your barista or your Uber driver. And we're like, God, I can't do that. God, I don't want to do that. Why? Because there's a Jonah in all of us. There's a Jonah in all of us. And there's many different reasons why. I love what Chuck Davis, Chuck Davis writes. He writes this, God invites us and in fact exhorts us to be part of this restoration project, his mission. Once we ourselves have been rescued, we are immediately deputized into his restoration project. We become the bearers of his kingdom benefits and transformation. Not all of us, though, naturally enter into this renewed sense of purpose. We get distracted with everyday life. We find ourselves in uh, we, we, we join faith communities that can become insular and not outreaching. We find ourselves in societies that have not only begun telling a different narrative story, they have become antagonistic to this story of God's restoration. Jonah is a living metaphor for all the restored people of God. That once a person is rescued from danger, the temptation is to play it safe. Jonah, like many of us, wanted to play it safe. Jonah runs away from God because he wants to play it safe and remain comfortable in his nationalistic understanding of God's mercy. That God would show mercy to me and, and his people, surely not to his enemy. And in the same way, we run away from God's mission, from the things that he's calling us to because we too want to play it safe. Where it's comfortable to receive grace and mercy and restoration for ourselves, but it's hard to extend that onto on, on others, right? Where it's easy and comfortable to seek our own healing and our own restoration, but it takes, a, it takes a price, it takes a cost for us to extend and see the restoration in other people's lives as well. But once we understand the heart of God, we see that God invites us to a life that is not meant to be comfortable, but it's meant to be missional, amen? Our life isn't meant to be comfortable once we understand the heart of God, but it's meant to be missional. So how does God deal with the reluctant prophet that wants to play it safe and remain comfortable? Jonah 1 verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm aroused that the ship threatened to break. 
God sends a supernatural storm to wake him up and deliver Jonah from his comfort so that Jonah would get back on track to join in on God's mission. And in the same way, I believe God wants to wake us up from three things so that we will join in on God's restoration project or his mission as well. The first thing that God needs to wake us up from is our self-sufficiency. Read with me verse 5. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Now this storm, it had to have been a really, really bad storm because these sailors were most likely highly experienced and they've come across countless different storms and countless different trips. But the fact that they're afraid in this moment means that this storm had to be on a whole nother level. It had to be supernatural. So what do they do? They start calling out to their own gods. In other words, they start praying. But what is Jonah doing? Jonah is is below deck sleeping. He's sleeping at this very moment. And the irony of this moment is that the pagan sailors, they're prayerful and they're seeking divine help while the prophet of God is not praying even in the slightest bit. The sailors, they recognize their vulnerability. They recognize their frailty. They recognize their need for a divine being to come and help them. But Jonah is self-sufficient and even prideful in some sense to ignore God's help because he's still that much angry at God. In order for us to get on mission with God, the first thing that God needs to wake us up from is our own self-sufficiency. You know, our vision for the next 10 years is to reach 10,000 people, right? And there's more details to come, and we're going to constantly keep, um, you know, communicating that vision to you guys. But if we're going to accomplish that, we're going to have to be that much more dependent upon God, amen? We can't afford to be self-sufficient thinking that we can accomplish this God-sized vision on our own. And the best way for us to grow in dependence upon God is to worship and prayer, And so this year as a church, we're actually going to grow more and more as a praying church. We're pushing our leaders and our members to come out to Wednesday night prayer and join us corporately to pray. We're going to have many, many many prayer initiatives all throughout the year. We're going to have 21 days of prayer. We're going to have 40 days of prayer. We're going to try this new thing where we're going to have 24 prayer sets throughout the year where we'll commit a given day to prayer and each hour is going to be committed by someone interceding and committing to intercession. Even as a pastoral staff, we're changing the way we're doing our meetings. We're actually setting more time to commit to praying for our church, for you guys, for this region, for this vision of ours. Why? Because living missionally will require us not to be self-sufficient, but to be dependent upon God through worship and prayer. Because the reality is this, is that as we reach more people, as we live missionally, we are actually going to be pouring our lives out more and more and more. And so we need worship and prayer to fill ourselves constantly back up. Right? This is why we want, you know, our church members to come to, you know, Sunday worship on time. Not because for the sake of just coming on time. But we know that as you're going back to work, as you're going back into your families for the next coming week, right, you're going to be giving yourselves away. And so we want you to spend as much time in the presence of God to fill yourselves back up. Right? We want our love for Jesus to overflow. So as we reach people, they'll catch our uh, passionate love for Jesus and say, man, I want that relationship that you have with God. And lastly, some of the problems that we're going to come across in these next 10 years, they're going to be too big. 
They're going to be too powerful for us to solve it on our own resources and our own strength. And we're going to need worship and prayer to ask God for a supernatural breakthrough. So the first thing God needs to wake us up from is our self-sufficiency. Second thing is our comfort. Read with me verse 6. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Another ironic moment is that the captain and pagan sailors, that they're extremely alert and invested in this situation. But Jonah, the prophet of God, he's out of touch. He's actually indifferent. He's like so apathetic. And the captain is shocked to find him at the bottom of the boat sleeping. He says what? He says, how can you be sleeping at such a time like this? How can you not help us? And in order for us to get on mission with God, the second thing that God needs to wake us up from is our comfort. Because comfort prevents us from being aware of what's going on outside the bubble of our lives. And if we're going to reach 10,000 people in the next coming 10 years, we're going to actually have to step out of our comfort zone and be incarnational. What do I mean by incarnational? That just as Jesus incarnated himself in in human flesh and entered into our world and lived among us, we too, we're going to have to step out of our bubble, step out of our comfort zone, and step into the lives of the people and the world around us. This is why over the next 10 years, we're shifting even the way we do family groups. Where we're not going to be insular anymore, but we're going to be outreaching. We're going to be regional. And our goal even this year is to have five regional FGs starting this year. And we want to reach specifically the people in our towns, our neighbors. And we want to invite them into our community because we know a lot of the world is suffering from loneliness right now, right? We want to be invested in our towns to help and serve the different needs that, you know, our people in our lives are experiencing in our townships. And so, and so you, know, you know, family groups is still going to be the bread and the butter of our community where it's going to be a time for our church members to check in with each other, to have community, to be intimate. But we want to add this missional element to our family groups to say, hey, let's get out there. Let's get invested. Let's step out of our comfort zone. Let's be incarnational and let's get invested in the lives and the people around us. Living missionally will require us not to be comfortable but to be incarnational to the lives and the world around us. And the thing is this, is that we can't afford to be out of touch with the world because we, right now, we live in a broken world with COVID and the pandemic and everything. We live in a broken world where everyone is trying to solve and make sense of the storms in their lives. They're looking for multiple solutions, but we have the one answer, and his name is Jesus. Amen? But we won't be able to introduce them to the person of Jesus, to this God of restoration, if we're unaware, if we're unable to understand their pain, their brokenness, their needs, their longings, and their angst from the beginning. And the last thing that God needs to wake us up from is our self-centeredness. Read with me verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? 
Pick me up and throw me into the sea, Jonah replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. The last ironic moment of this chapter 1 is the fact that the prophet of God, who should know the heart of God so, so, so well, he isn't seeking the help of others, but he's so absorbed in his own problems. Instead, it's the pagan sailors who are seeking the good of everyone around them. And they ironically represent the heart of God so much better than the prophet of God that they're not willing to even throw Jonah overboard until the very end when they have to. If we're going to get on mission with God, the third thing that God needs to wake us up from is our self-centeredness. That if we're going to reach 10,000 people, we can't afford to be self-focused and self-centered and think, man, what is church doing for me? How is church serving, for me? How is church serving me? But we need to be others-focused and think, man, how is our church helping others? What are we doing outside the four walls of our church? And this is why over the next 10 years, we're actually adding evangelism courses all throughout the year. Because if God is a God of restoration, and if he is the answer to the storms in people's lives, then the best way to seek the good of others is to learn better ways to introduce them to a relationship with Jesus. Amen. So we're going to evangelize. We're going to reach other people. We're going to actually change and add new ministries to Mercy Local and give you guys a bunch of different opportunities to get involved locally and help serve other people. This summer, Mercy Global is starting up their summer mission trips again. Come on, right? We're actually going to go back into the nations and join in on what God is doing, restoring in other countries and nations. And lastly, we're going to increase our giving this year to help others in need with our generosity. Living missionally will require us not to be self-centered, but to constantly seek the good of others. We don't want to just stay within the four walls of the church, but we want to go out and reach the broken and lost by serving them. And so I'm going to invite the worship team up. So God needs to wake us up from three things, self-sufficiency, comfort, and self-centeredness. Because the purpose of our lives isn't meant to be comfortable, but it's meant to be missional. Now, some of you are wondering, all right, I understand the heart of God and how we're called to be missional. I see the changes that we're making as a church as a result of our 10-year plans. But how does this affect me personally for the year of 2022? Our theme, heart of God, how does that theme affect me for the year of 2022? Well, there's three goals or action items that the pastoral staff wants to uh, you know, invite you to live out this year in light of our theme, the heart of God. Three things. Number one, pray. Pray. Right, we always start with prayer. We want you to first and foremost pray that you would take after God's heart. God, teach us to have compassion. Teach us to be on mission like you. Help us to have a heart like you. And the second thing that we want you to pray for is that you would have a heart for the region. Our region, you know, it has a lot of flaws. It has regions. It has its own issues. But the thing is, is, is if we who live here, who call this place home, if we're not praying for our region, then who is, right? Who, if we're not praying and having a heart for the region, then who is? 
And so we want you to pray this year, Lord, rekindle love for our region, for Bergen County, for my town, Ridgewood, Pell Park, Fort Lee this year. All right, so the first thing we want you to do is pray. Second thing, we want you to invest. Just as how we're going to invest in our towns through regional family groups, we want you on a personal level to start investing in one person throughout the year. Just one person. It can be your family member that doesn't know Jesus. It can be your friend. It can be your classmate. It can be your coworker. It can be your neighbor. And what we mean by investing is first and foremost, you know, keep them in prayer. But the second thing is that we want you to build a relationship with people. We want you to, you know, take people out to dinner. We want you to meet their needs. We want you to get involved in their lives. And everything that we do in our church, all our initiatives, all our plans, we want you to constantly keep and have this one person in mind throughout the entire year. And our hope is that as you invest in them, as you build a relationship, there will come an opportunity sometime this year where you can introduce them to the person of Jesus. Amen. And the third thing that we want you to do, our third action item, is that we want you to serve. We want you to serve. We want you to get outside the comfort of our lives and outside the four walls of the church. The world is constantly shaping and forming us to be comfortable, to be self-centered. But this year, our goal is that we would be that much more focused upon other people and seeking the good of those around us. And so we're going to offer a bunch of different Mercy Local opportunities. River Mission with Pastor Don, who spoke last year. We're going to introduce Meet Out in the Ministry, which is helping um, uh, mentally handicapped kids, right? Um, and we want you to sign up for these things to go serve. Some of you guys have never been on global missions. This is your year. This is your year to seek the good of those in other nations. And lastly, we're going to be more generous as a church this year than ever before. And so we're going to have some different giving initiatives. And as a church, we want generosity to be a core value because it's on the heart of God. Amen. Lastly, we see that Jonah, he gets thrown overboard and God provides a fish and the fish swallows him up. And he has an encounter with the Lord. And Pastor John is going to pick us up from there at the end of chapter 1. But, question, but the question that chapter 1 asks of us is this. Is will we be like Jonah and play it safe? Or will we join in on God's mission to rescue, to restore, and to share the heart of God with others? Are we only concerned about our rescue, our healing, and our restoration? Or will we also not be concerned about that great city? about our families, our friends, our neighbors, and other people in our lives. And this year, as we learn more and more and more about the heart of God, as we grow in the heart of God, as we live this thing out called the heart of God, my prayer is that the Jonah in us would be challenged, that our self-sufficiency, our self-centeredness, our comfort would be challenged, the idols of our hearts. But also, I pray that the Jonah of us, Jonah in us, would be encouraged to live on mission with God. Amen. So at this time, can we all rise to our feet? And we're going to close in prayer and worship. And the first thing that I want us to do in light of this message today in Jonah chapter 1 is we're, we're going to pray. We're going to pray, God, we want to have a heart like yours. We want to be full of such deep compassion. We want to be so full of mercy. We want to be overflowing with love and grace. We want our heart to take after yours. And the second thing that I want us to pray at this moment is, God, help us to have a heart for our region. 
whether it's Emerson, whether it's Creskill, whether it's River Ridge, whether it's Fort Lee, whether it's Palpar. God, help me to rekindle a love for the city, for the place you've placed me in this season of my life. And so let's pray for, the, um, for that thing. And then I got one more prayer request after that, but let's pray. Second thing that I want us to pray for is, um, God, I just want us to pray that um, you would bring up to mind one person right now and all of us, one person in who we're called to invest this year. And just ask the Lord, God, who am I called to invest in this year? For some of you, it's your family members. For some of you, it's that one friend that's been going through a really hard time. For others of you, it's, it's your coworkers, it's your neighbor. But just ask the Lord, God, who is this one person that I'm called to invest in? And as names come up, I just want you to start covering them in prayer right now. That wherever they're at, at this very moment, that God's presence would touch them, would give them hope, would give them joy. And so just start lifting up that prayer right now, Lord. I just want to pray. And I pray, Lord, that she's at our house right now, Lord. Lord, that she can sense your presence, God. Lord, give us opportunities to just uh, build a relationship with them. Give us opportunities to share your love with them, Lord. Lord, give us more opportunities, God. Give us more opportunities and more more touch points, God, to just share your love with them, Lord. So, God, we just lift your hands up right now. And lastly, what I want us to pray for is this is like, I believe that for a lot of us in this room today, that God is just calling us to serve in new and different ways, right? Whether it's mercy local events, whether it's going on global missions, whether it's getting more involved in church and, and helping us to accelerate this vision of reaching and get, uh, reaching 10,000 people, right? I think God's inviting us, hey, it's time for you to step out of your comfort zone and it's time to get on track, on mission with me. And so just ask the Lord right now, God, in what ways are you calling me to step out of my comfort zone this year? And just listen to his voice. And I'm, I believe he's going to speak to you right now at this very moment and give you different ministry opportunities, many different mercy local, mercy global opportunities. And as he's bringing things up, I just want our hearts to say, God, yes. I say yes. I may not want to like Jonah, but I'm willing. I'm willing, God. I'm willing.